All right, Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45 and verse 5. <clears throat> We're going to continue our series on we believe, what we believe. And even though this is Memorial Day weekend, I think uh, this topic would be good for us to understand, realize in America but what we believe about God, but not just what we believe, but why we believe what we, we believe. And that's really what is important, isn't it? Because everybody believes something. The question is, uh, how did you come to that conclusion? <laughs> Where do you get your information, right? And uh, the world is full of information. Unfortunately, 90% of it's untrue information, probably, maybe not 90%, but do you understand? Depending on where you get it from, you've got to be careful. So our objective uh, and our purpose as a church, we said last week, uh, is everything we do is based on the fact that this is the very Word of God. And so as we look at it, we gain from it the truths we need to gain. So we've been looking at our doctrinal statement uh, as a church and going through point by point. But first before we get started here, before I get ahead of myself, Isaiah 45, verse 5. And the first part of that verse, it says this. God says this. I am the Lord. And there is none else. There is no God beside me. Let's pray. Father, bless as we open your word for these moments together. Again, encourage our hearts and, and refresh our minds on this important truth of, of the Godhead. And, and uh, we don't understand uh, nearly, in, nearly all about you. But, but Father, we thank you that we have a God that we can trust and we can serve. A God who loves us. A God who, who died for us. And as the reason we're meeting here this morning. But so bless this time together in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you heard about the two little boys. They, were, uh, they came to church every Sunday, uh, but they were just, uh, how should I say, rascals. Okay, that might be an old school term, but in other words, they're always getting into trouble. No matter what, they seemed like they were always into something they shouldn't be into. And uh, one particular Sunday, they were in, in top form. <laughs> Uh, and uh, in, into things, and, and finally the, the Sunday school teacher went to the pastor and said, Pastor, I need you to talk to these boys. I just can't uh, do anything with them. They won't sit still. They won't do what I said. So the pastor said, okay. So uh, the pastor asked the, the boys after Sunday school was over to come to his office, and he sat the boys down across from him and tried to impress upon them the truth of, of who God is and, and that God uh, is watching everything we do and so forth. So he uh, sat the boys down and said, boys, I want to ask you a question. Where is God? The boys just kind of sat there and heads to the ground, didn't say anything. The pastor said, boys, I asked you a question. Where is God? The boys kind of looked at each other. They didn't say a word. And uh, finally, a third time, even more forcefully, the preacher said, boys, I want an answer. Where is God? At that, both boys, they looked frightened. They jumped up out of the seats. They ran out the door. The pastor studied. They ran down the hall, out the church doors, and ran all the way home. Well, they ran upstairs, went to their room, and hid under their bed. <laughs> well, their mother uh, went to see what was going on, and she went upstairs to their room and, and said, Boys, what is the matter? Well, they kind of sheepishly poked their head out from under the bed, and one of the boys said, God is missing, and they think we had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, point number two in our Constitution. Again, I printed that in your bulletin this morning. It says this, we believe in one 
triune God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal in being, co-identical in nature, co-equal in power and glory, and having the same attributes and perfections. And so we want to look at the truth of the Godhead this morning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Many attempts have been made to explain the Trinity so our finite minds can understand it. We hear the, the illustration of the egg. Okay, three parts of the egg, but it's one egg. And yet that's not an accurate description, is it? Uh, because each part of that egg has a different substance, different makeup, and so forth. But we hear, uh, I've heard people use water as an explanation. Three different forms, or uh, is that the right word? But uh, of water, you have water, liquid, ice, and then you have vapor, right? But again, that's not an accurate description because it can't be all three at once. <laughs> it's got to be one or the other. And so no matter how hard we try, nowhere on earth can we find a true picture of the triune God, and there's frankly no way that we can comprehend it. I cannot explain the Trinity in an understandable way this morning. But you know what? I'm kind of glad. Because if I could explain God, he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? <laughs> if we understood everything about God, uh, he wouldn't be much of a God. And so my goal is not to try to explain it this morning, but to point out how God's Word, the fact that God's Word teaches it as so. Teaches it as fact. But before we do that, let me ask this question, or start off with this. How important is the doctrine of the Trinity? Is it really all that important? Well, when it comes to the person of Christ, certainly it, 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 our salvation depends on it, doesn't it? If Christ was not God... Uh, then he could not be our mediator, he could not be our advocate, and thereby could not atone for, the, for our sins, and his, his sacrifice would have not done anything for us. And so it is important what we believe about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, about God himself. And also it's important to the proper interpretation of Scripture. I mean, the Bible either teaches a triune God, or it is full of contradictions, one or the other. And so while each member of the Trinity, as we look this morning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, share the same identity, they serve in different aspects, different roles throughout time. But they play very definitive roles. The Son became the Lamb of God, the Redeemer of man, and now serves as our intercessor at the throne of God. The Spirit played a role in the conception of, of incarnate Christ and serves as the indwelling comforter in believers today. And, it, by the way, is the one who seals us until the way, uh, until the the uh, day of redemption, the seal of our salvation. And so I want us to see that Scripture clearly teaches there's indeed but one God. God Himself said it. One God, there's no else, none else but Him. So I want us to see that Scripture clearly teaches there's indeed but one God eternally existing in three distinct persons, each possessing the same attributes. And we're going to look at those three phrases from our statement of faith. The first one there is they are co-identical in nature. And there's a lot of verses that we could put in here this morning. And what I've done this morning, I don't normally do this uh, for verses because I'd like you to see it in your own Bible, okay? Uh, so you know that it's there. But we've got so many verses. When I put several up on the screen for you as we go through, you'll see some of those pop up. But we will be turning to, to some as well, to a few passages as well. But Isaiah 45, again, verse 5, we read there where he says, I am the Lord and there is none else, there is no God Beside me, God Himself clearly declares there's only one God, and beside Him there's no other. So, again, people who, uh, well, 
Uh, we all worship a higher power. It doesn't, well, you may worship a higher power, but there's only one God that we're to worship, and that is Almighty God, the God of Scripture, the God of eternity. Yet God, as we think about this, there, again, he says there's only one God. Beside him there's no other. And yet it's interesting to notice that all throughout the Old Testament, there's several places in the Old Testament where God himself refers to himself in the plural form. And yet he says there's one God. So what's the answer? Again, either it's right, it's accurate, and we just don't understand it, or it's contradictory and we might as well throw the whole book away, right? He's co-identical in nature. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. Let me show you what I mean. Just a few places in Genesis, but there's other places throughout, obviously, Scripture. But Genesis 1, verse 26. And again, I'll give you a little clue. Genesis comes right before Exodus. So if you find Exodus, you all right. Genesis chapter 1, <laughs> verse 26. God said, let us, who said? God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air over the cattle over the earth over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him so God beside him there's none else God says but here in Genesis 1 26 God says let us who's he talking to <laughs> there's nobody else there but God let us make man in our image after our likeness and then he says God created him in his image. So we see, again, both those references there, both singular and yet plural. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Over just a few pages in your Bible, Genesis 3, verse 22. And the Lord God, Jehovah God, said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever, he gives this judgment. But he says, the Lord God, Jehovah God, one and only true God, says, man has become as one of us in knowing good from evil. And then one more, go to Genesis chapter 11. Just to bear out our point, Genesis 11, verse 5. All right, Genesis eleven five. It says the Lord God or the Lord came down to see the city and tower with the children which the children of men builded, and the Lord there it is again, all capitals, Jehovah God. The Lord came down to see the city and tower which the children of men builded, and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them that, that, which they have imagined to do. Then look at verse seven. Go to let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So you see the point, right? There's other places. Uh, we know the prophet Isaiah, God spoke to him and said, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Okay. And so there's other places as well. But clearly, the God who said there's only one God, there's none else besides me, then he refers to himself in plural form. And so let's then think about Jesus Christ here. They are co-identical. Remember the, the point, co-identical in nature. Jesus Christ possessed all of the attributes of God. All the attributes of God. Look at Colossians chapter 2. And we'll park in Colossians for a while. We'll go a couple places there, but we'll stay in Colossians for a while. Colossians chapter 2. And so we know, again, the, the nature of God. And uh, again, we, on these studies, we cannot go in depth in every single point. Obviously, we'd be here for a few years on this study. 
Uh, so we're just taking a point per Sunday as, much, as, be- as best as we can. But we know God, He is all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful. Uh, he's unchangeable. He's eternal. All the, the, the things we've, in fact, we've done a study just on God Himself in the past as well. But all those attributes of God. Well, understand, Jesus Christ possessed all and possesses, but possessed all the attributes of God. Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceits, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And then look at verse 9. For in him, in who? In Christ, dwelleth all, little three-letter word, but a big word, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so Jesus Christ, understand, was not like God. He was God and is God. Fully God. God in the flesh. It tells us in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in body, bodily. That word dwell there means to, to reside permanently. And so this was not just some uh, uh, temporary role that He fulfilled, okay? In Him dwelt all the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ demonstrated that He had power and authority over nature. You remember there in the story. Uh, amid amid the, the raging storm, the winds and sea, and how Jesus stood up in the boat, and he said what? Peace. <laughs> Be still. And immediately everything ceased. Everything stopped. Uh, he also had power over disease and death, healing every sickness, every manner of disease among the people from village to village to village, the Bible tells us. Power over disease and death. Lazarus, come forth. And others that he raised from the dead as well. And those things are important, but I would say even more importantly, he had power to forgive sin. I mean, more, more indicative of his person. He had power to forgive sin. Remember, he healed the paralytic of the, I believe this was the, the story that, in which this happened, but the four friends who brought him to Jesus and, and uh, the, the Pharisees once again were in sins that Jesus would do this, but not just the healing, but they said, who, when Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee, they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, guess what? Jesus didn't disagree. <laughs> That was a true statement. Only God can forgive sin. And so when he came to this earth, he did not set aside his deity, his, his godliness, his, his godness. He was God in the flesh. Yes, there were things that he voluntarily limited himself to in the, in the body form, but at any moment, uh, he, at all moments, he still possessed all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, you'll see this up on the screen. It says, God was manifest in the flesh. Who was manifest? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Who's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh, justified spirit, preached to the Gentiles, believed in the spirit, received up to glory. In fact, Isaiah calls him the everlasting father. He called Jesus Christ the everlasting Father. What blasphemy that would be if it were not true. The Pharisees had no doubt that Jesus, who Jesus claimed to be when they tried to stone him. In John 10, verse 33, it says, For a good work, they said, For a good work we stone thee not, 
but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Not a God, not like God, but thou makest thyself God. Jesus Christ possessed all the attributes of God. Also we know the Holy Spirit. Remember, all three are co-identical in nature. The Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes of God. Again, we've done studies on the Holy Spirit as well in, in uh, uh, recent months or years. The Holy Spirit is not just some unseen force. According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed, resisted, grieved. The Spirit comforts, guides, convicts, teaches, intercedes, testifies. All those things are indications, are indicative of personality and reality of person, of existence. Scripture reveals the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. Again, we don't have time to look at all these verses, but in Acts chapter 5, when uh, Peter was confronting Ananias and Sapphira for their sin, he said this, Why have you lied in your heart to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. Who'd they lie to? The Holy Spirit. But who'd they lie to? God. The Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes of God. Not only are they co-identical in nature, but number two, they are co-equal in power and glory. Co-equal in power and glory. And here in Colossians chapter 2, that very next verse, verse 10, Colossians 2.10, he says, And ye are complete in Him, again, still talking about Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. So Jesus Christ is the head of all principality and power. That is not that cannot be true unless he is God. Colossians 1, if you go back just a couple of pages or one page in your Bible, Colossians 1 verse 12. He says giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. But then look what it says, by him, verse 16, Colossians 1, verse 16, by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, Okay, all the spirit uh, world as well. All things were created by him and for him. And so by him were all things created. And yet in Genesis 1, it says, the very first verse, very first word, says God, right, created. Uh, in the beginning, sorry, it's not the first word, but the first verse. In the beginning, God created, Right? God, and yet here it says Jesus created all things. Principalities, powers, all those things. I remember talking about a boy. Uh, he was upstairs in his room. He came down to his mom and he says, Mom, uh, is it true? I heard the, the, the preacher, pastor say on Sunday, is it true that we came from dust, that man comes from dust? And the mother said, yes. The boy said, well, is it true that, we, that we're going to return to dust? His mom said, yes, that's true. That's what the Bible says. And he says, Mom, then you better come quick because under my bed, somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> All right. Well, they're co-equal in power and glory. God made all things that are in, and yet 
And yet in Job 33, 4, it says, The Spirit of God, Job said, hath made me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First it says God created heaven and earth. And God, all through chapter 1, chapter 2, God created this, 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 and this. But then Colossians tells us Jesus created all these things. And then Job says, The Holy Spirit created me. <laughs> the Holy Spirit made me. And the breath of the Almighty hath given me life, he says. And so the only way, the only way to reconcile these verses is to believe that all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are indeed part of the same deity, that being Almighty God. They are uh, of one, even being, again, three distinct uh, persons. Co-identical in nature, co-equal in power and glory. One more, and then we'll be done. Number three, in our statement, it says they are co-eternal in being. Co-eternal in being. I found that even some uh, Christians in uh, some of our stripe of churches, okay, uh, sometimes are, are, have a mistaken idea on this. So let's look here. Co-eternal in being. Colossians 1, verse 17. It says, And he, Christ, is before what? All things. Not most things. Before all things. And by him, what's it say? All things consist. We said that word consist. We said before it literally means held together. So uh, he created all things, but he also holds all things together. But by him, he says, he is rather, is before all things. And by him, all things exist. So understand, we know God is eternal, but understand also Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is eternal. His existence did not begin at Bethlehem. Okay, that's when he took on flesh to become sacrifice and, uh, for you and me. But, but his existence did not begin at Bethlehem. He was with the Father before the foundation, before anything was made. With the Father from the foundation of the world. Why? Because he's eternal. One more verse I want to share on the screen. John 17, 5. Jesus said in his prayer, I believe we have it anyway. Jesus in his prayer to the Father when he was there. Uh, a very personal prayer, John 17. He says, Father... Glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so just understand this morning, Jesus was not a created being. He was not an angel. He was not the brother of Satan, as, as Mormonism and others may teach. He was and is verifiably and undeniably the holy and eternal Son of God, an inseparable part of God himself. He could not have created all things and given life and breath to all if he himself was a created being. Correct? He's co-eternal in being. And then concerning the Holy Spirit, Scripture teaches us that he also is an eternal part of the Godhead. Genesis 1 verse 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit was present and in fact played a role in creation the creation of all there is. But wait a minute, it says God created. It says Jesus Christ created all there is. It says the Holy Spirit was there as well, moved in the waters and, and, and created, was part of creation also. Well, in closing, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, it says there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, who is the Word? Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh, remember? So, three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are 
one. Now, as they used to say on the farm, you can't get much more plainer than that. <laughs> these three, Father, the, the Word, the Son, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. And so the Trinity is a doctrine which we must believe not because we understand it, not because we can comprehend, not because we can explain it in human terms, but it's a doctrine we must believe by faith because we can't adequately uh, under, explain or understand. And yet, we talk about believing by faith, but understand once again that it's not by blind faith because it's revealed here. It's taught all throughout Scripture. If we believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant Word of God, as we talked about last week, then we must believe in a triune God. Now, some teachings are difficult for us to comprehend, to understand. But one truth, as we close this morning, one truth that is easy to understand is that God loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, my sin, and He is waiting. He wants to be your personal Savior our heads and close our eyes this morning as I look at the crowd we have here you're all what we might call church folk okay but understand this that doesn't mean you don't need this truth and it doesn't mean you don't need the truth of salvation there might even be one here this morning that you've made a profession of faith oh you you uh, uh based upon what even maybe what somebody told you or what somebody said, they said, oh, you must be saved or you're saved. Or, yeah, I remember when this happened. And, uh, but there might be some here who just don't have total peace about it. I'm not trying to put doubts in your mind, but, but uh, when, the, when the devil comes to you, try to put doubt in your mind, you need to make sure uh, that you have settled this matter with God. And so even though, again, we're all church folk here, there might still be one here in our presence who has not made it personal and real in their life. Okay, it's not just about what you believe, it's about what you do with what you believe. Whether you've received the gift of salvation for yourself. Or there may be somebody watching online uh, who needs this very simple truth. God loves you. Christ died for you. And he's taken all the, 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 the steps that need to be taken. He's paid the full price for your sin. All you have to do is receive what he did for you on the cross. And I'll go ahead and ask this morning. I've, I learned a long time ago in ministry, been in ministry, I don't know how long now, it's time sure flies, but 35, 30, I can't remember years, but I've learned to never take anything for granted. So very quickly, every head about every eye closed. There might be one this morning who would say, I'm just not sure. I believe what, what you've said. I believe what Jesus did, and, and I believe all these things, but was there a time when you prayed and, and received what he did? for your very self. Not because mom did, not because grandma or grandpa did, not because you've always gone to church. I mentioned before, I had a fellow one time tell me, I was on the cradle roll at such and such Baptist church. I thought, well, good. <laughs> you got your diaper changed when you were young, that's good, but have you had your heart changed? That's the question. <laughs> and so maybe there's one this morning, I'm not going to belabor anymore, but very quickly, maybe you would say, I'm, not, I'm just not 100% sure. Pastor, would you please pray for me? Very quickly, raise your hand, put it right back down, I'll say thank you. Anyone like that? Old or young, I'm not sure. Very quickly. All right, thank you. Maybe again, those watching online as well need to ponder that question. Is it real to me? They said, and I've said this before, but they say that the, the, the space between 
that's keeping some people out of heaven is about 18 inches from the head to the heart. They know it, they've heard it, maybe even believe much of what they've heard, but they've never made it real. And so I encourage you this morning to just go before God, confess your need of Him, call upon Jesus Christ who died for you, who's buried, He rose again. Scripture tells us the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel, the Bible says, but believe not just in Christ, believe upon Christ, receive Him for yourself. I trust you'll do that this morning if you've not done that. Then you can have the hope of eternal life, the peace and joy in all He has to give in this life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again this morning and for this truth that we've been able to highlight. And truly that's all we can do is just get the highlights, but, but the truth of who you are and what you've accomplished for us. Uh, you are indeed a great God. You are indeed a mystery to us in so many ways, but this is not a mystery, the fact that in this book, You've given us all we need to know uh, who you are and, and uh, to, to trust you as Savior. You've given us all we need to know about the Redeemer, about the remedy for our sin. And so, Father, help us to receive it, to believe it, receive it for our, ourselves. And uh, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you that you are a God that, that we can't understand. Uh, you are a God far above our understanding. Your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways, and we better be thankful every day for that truth. You are God and we are not. We honor you, we praise you, we thank you this morning for that wonderful truth. Bless as we close this service together, and we'll thank you for meeting with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.